0: Hey, y'all, welcome to the Marty Smith's America podcast. This is volume 100-something, and it's an awesome week for ESPN. Championship golf is back, man. The PGA Championship is this weekend out west in San Francisco. I'm thrilled. I'm so glad that we're going to get to see a major golf championship. And, of course, it's the first time in 2020 that that is happening because of the COVID-19 pandemic. The other ones were pushed to later in the year, and this one is on ESPN. A few of my buddies are out there. I know uh, Michael Eaves is out there, Van Pelt's out there, and they'll be bringing you content all week long and coverage all week long on ESPN platforms of the PGA Championship. uh, I'm really excited for you guys to hear the interview we have today. It's actually a few months old. I went out. Let me give you the backstory story quickly before we get to the actual interview. I was at the Daytona 500 in Daytona Beach, Florida in February. Got the opportunity to interview Brooks Kepka. Brooks was doing an appearance on behalf of the PGA Championship out in San Francisco at the Giants uh, baseball park, and... Harry Hawkins, my boy, he's my uh, feature producer, extremely talented, extremely talented feature producer. He and I have done several pieces together for television. And so they flew Harry and me out to San Francisco. So I'm at the Daytona 500. I interview Kyle Busch the morning of the Daytona 500 race. I leave Kyle, get in a car, haul freight over to Orlando, Florida, Leave the Orlando Airport on a direct flight to San Francisco. Uh, stayed the night there, got up the next morning, and went over to Oracle Park and spent the morning setting up that feature and, and then had the opportunity to sit down with Brooks, who, of course, is the two-time defending champion of the event, which was supposed to have taken place in May but was pushed To this weekend due to the coronavirus pandemic, and I've now interviewed Brooks several times. I first met him at a Nike event at the Masters in 2016, I think. It was either 2016 or 17, something like that. Uh, It was before I covered the Masters for ESPN, so I think it was 2016, and Brooks was doing a Nike event, and I got invited to the Nike event. I actually hosted it And that was the first time that I met him. And so, anyway, fly out to San Francisco and sit down with Brooks. And we spent, I don't remember exactly now. Again, it was several months ago, maybe 40 minutes or so with Brooks, not only breaking down his game, but also his steely nerve. The one thing that he's known for the most, other than unbelievable talent, is – being completely unflappable no matter the obstacle he faces. He has amazing composure, but he didn't always. And that was one of the most revealing parts of the interview. And we have Harry, my producer I mentioned earlier, Harry and I did a big piece for all of our television platforms that will air all week this week leading into the PGA Championship about how Brooks grew emotionally as not only a, golf, a golfer, but also as a man. And his mother, uh, we have his mother in the piece, and she's you talk about direct. Now, you think Brooks is direct? Talk to his mama. She, is, she, she does not mince any words about her son's evolution as a, as a person and, and in describing him as a golfer and, and that evolution as well, the, the emotional growth that Brooks has not only uh, experienced but achieved and honed now into one of the greatest golfers on the planet. Someone, again, that I've now interviewed several times and gosh, I enjoy him. I I love how direct and honest he is. His candor is very rare. You don't meet a lot of athletes that are that direct. As we stated... The first major of 2020 is here. Get exclusive coverage of the PGA Championship August 6th through 9th on ESPN and ESPN. We're just so thrilled that we get to watch a major this weekend, and we know you guys are the same way. We here at ESPN Radio teamed up with our friends at the PGA to give all of you something big to look forward to in 2021. This is your chance, your chance, guys, to win a VIP experience to the 2021. PGA Championship at the world-class Kiowa Island Golf Resort. The four-day, three-night grand prize package for the winner and guest includes, y'all buckle up, man, this is stupid, round-trip air and Hotel at the Sanctuary, a five-star oceanfront hotel on the island. I've been there. It's unbelievable. The Sanctuary is the right way. I think I said that last week. It's the right way to describe that place. Two tickets to the PGA Chalet and two pairs of Wanamaker Club tickets. That means cold beer. Travis Rockhold, that means cold beer. Two free one-year subscriptions to ESPN Plus. Stream live coverage of featured holes every weekend on ESPN Plus. Win a year of exclusive live sports, originals, and more with ESPN Plus for your chance to win. Go to ESPNRadioSweeps.com to enter now through August 11th. Guys, this is not hanging around very long. August 11th, as we tape this, it's August 3rd. So that's a week from Tuesday. All right, August 11th is your deadline. Go to ESPNRadioSweeps.com now through August 11th. You can only do it once. It's limited to one entry. One grand prize winner will be selected. Go to espnradiosweeps.com for the official rules. Well, I wish you and I could win that thing, man. I mean, I don't have to go there for work. I can go there to party.
1: That, that was what I was going to say, I don't want to go there for work. I <laughs> want to be able to have as many cold beers as humanly possible and not have to worry about, you know, editing or putting anything together. I just want to go there for fun. But I think we're not allowed to win it but the winner could pick either one of us to go with them if they would uh, like
0: there you go if if one of you guys hears this read on marty smith's america and you end up going to ESPNRadioSweeps.com and winning the package y'all better invite travis or me
1: i have a feeling they're gonna pick you over me
0: i don't know man i don't know they, it might be some cute young lady who needs a date. Now, I mean, look, if it's, if it, if it's
1: that'll work for me. But if it's a guy, they're going to want to bring the Marty Party. We know that <laughs> guys are your biggest fans. So indeed, they are. That's who's yeah. going to pick you.
0: That is unequivocal truth, man. If you want to see the hardcore Marty Party demographic, it's like twenty-one-year-old college senior dudes. But I'll take it, man. They're loyal.
1: Speaking of college guys, it just reminded me. I remember. We're at South Bend for the Notre Dame Team Up North game a couple of years ago, opening uh, game of the season on the field and the four or five college age guys ask you for your photo. And of course, you're like, sure, you know, get on in. And they're all excited and they, you know, get their arms around each other in the line and you look at them, and you go, boys who's taking the photo. None of them gave a phone to anybody. <laughs> they were so excited to get your photo that they forgot that they need to actually uh, pass the camera to me. I think actually Melinda Adams ended up taking the photo, your uh field producer, but they were just so excited they forgot about the camera part.
0: Melinda's the best, man. Melinda, I mean, she they just ESP in front row our kind of PR our, our PR department does pieces every now and then on Uh, people that work at the company and they did one recently on Melinda who has been in the NBA bubble now for like five weeks or whatever. And she is a total rock star, man. They are working their tails off. They are, let me, let let me try to explain to y'all what they're doing. They are lighting live shots. They are shooting live shot. They're the camera person, the lighting person, the audio person. They're setting up all the communication between Bristol, Connecticut and Orlando, Florida. They're, uh, of course, doing research and helping their reporters prepare. It's amazing what they're doing, how hard they're working, and I admire it so much. Uh, we're so fortunate to have folks like Melinda, another producer of mine, Andrea Pelkey's down there, Travis, uh, Patrick Abrahams, my brother. You know, all, all of them are down there, and they're doing such great work, and it's fun to watch, you know, folks like Malika Andrews and, and of course, Woges, is, is down there. It's been fun to watch those guys do their thing, and it's historic TV. I mean, those folks are living history. All right, that's enough rambling drivel. Let's get to the interview. And again, we have Brooks Kepka. and we touched on a ton of different topics. We got into uh, his PGA Championship victory last year, the Masters last year when he had a very unique experience. Uh, whether or not it's easy to be friendly on the course, Bryson DeChambeau and their little, their little rivalry, and how he learned to control his emotions on the golf course. And if you guys love this interview with Brooks, which I certainly hope you do, I, I love doing it, check out the Maddie and the Caddy podcast with my boys, Matt Berry and Michael Collins, two of my best friends in the company. Download and subscribe to Maddie and the Caddy and Marty Smith's America wherever you get your podcasts. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Buckle it up tight. Here's Brooks Kepka on Marty Smith America. All right, brother, we're going to start with your knowledge of your own sport. There is but one man who won his first four majors within a two year span. Do you know who that person is? No. That would be you.
2: Oh, perfect. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good group to me. Uh, it's, it's interesting when you look at it that way. I never, never looked at it like that. It's, it's you know, Nice to see all like the hard work paying off. Why do you feel like you're that person? I don't know. It's it's incredible. You look back at the run I've been on, and it's it's a wild ride. You know, it's one of those things where you don't want to take a second to kind of reflect on it because you're you're just so in the moment sometimes. Um, and you know, having this little bit of a knee injury, you can kind of look back on it, and it was it was cool to really reflect on the last few years. I don't you don't get to do it too much because golf, you're going all year round.
0: When you're in the middle of this run, how difficult is it to live in the moment and actually appreciate what you're doing?
2: Uh, you can't. I don't think you can really appreciate and, or really understand what's going on or what you're accomplishing, what you're doing. And it's, I've said it a few times. Where you know, I'll, I'll look back on it, and I'll reflect on a lot of things when, when I'm done. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I had a three-month break, and and you look back and you see these four trophies. Like, wow, this is incredible. This is something, you know, I never dreamed of. You, As a kid, you're, on the, you're like, oh, I want to win the PGA. I want to win the Masters. I want to win, you know, all these different tournaments. Yeah, you hope it comes true, but just to be able to play in them is pretty cool. And then you just take it a step further and win one. And, you know, there's only so many guys that have won four-plus majors. Uh, just to be on my name on that list is pretty, pretty cool. What would you say to that little Brooks? Oh, man, uh, just keep working. Just keep going. It's it's so cool to see you know your dreams come true. I don't think there's not many people in the world where they aspire to be something and then they actually get to do it. And I think that's the coolest thing in the world. Uh, yeah, I mean, I love my day job. I love it. It's so cool. Uh, you know, I look back at those moments where you know you might be running or you're running a couple miles and you just hate it at the same time. I remember thinking the first major I won, I was like, that's why I did that. I was like, that's why I struggled through whatever it is you're going through. You know, everybody has their ups and downs, and those downs sometimes are so low. But at the same time, those highs, man, they're incredible.
0: How would you describe your performance the first three days at Bethpage?
2: It was pretty flawless. It was pretty good. Um, You know, that was something that, I mean, those first few days to kind of do it, um, it's such a... Flawless, perfect—you know—two rounds. Um, I would say that was the closest thing I've ever played to perfect golf.
0: What was going through your mind at that time?
2: I Man, it felt like uh, it felt like you could do no wrong. Uh, you know, the first three days, even going into the last day, it felt great. You know, sometimes just things happen where you just you can hit great shots, and that's what a major championship does—you can hit some great shots and you get penalized. How
0: would you describe the conditions? on Sunday at Bethpage?
2: Yeah, it's brutal. Um, anytime you can get in conditions where it's blowing 25 and, <laughs> and quite gusty. Um, it makes golf very interesting. Thick rough, uh, tight fairways. It's a hard enough golf course, but you throw all that into the mix, plus a little bit of uh, tension, it's, uh, it makes it makes for a fun show, I'm sure.
0: So, so how would you describe your performance on Sunday?
2: It, it was one of those things. I actually didn't play bad. Um, I thought I played really good. Almost as good as I did the first Three days uh, for 10 holes, 11 just hit a bad drive and all of a sudden you can hit great drives and you're in the rough and you've got no chance. It just kind of depends on your lie. Um, hit a great shot in the par three um, on the 14 and you know Harold kind of watched his ball float and then mine went through it and it's one of those things where there's nothing you can do. It, that's, that's what happens on windy days. Um, but at the same time, it was very high, very low all in about an hour. It was uh, it was very satisfying to come out on top. when you're in the middle of that stretch from 11 through
0: 14 and it seems to be unraveling how do you make sure you maintain composure
2: Just stick with the process everything I've done um, you look at it you've got this attitude of hey I'm here to win and that's what I want to do and you know things can go sour on the you know, During that stretch, they could have gone sour way earlier too. But that's why you play good enough those first three days and give yourself that little bit of lead, a little bit of extra leeway, just in case something does go wrong.
0: It was a unique crowd too. Yeah, Yeah, those New York crowds. Oh yeah, they let you know. They're they're chanting DJ's name throughout that entire period. What's that like when you hear those chants and that's your performance in that moment?
2: It was, it was interesting, obviously, in golf, that really doesn't happen that often. Um, And then you throw into the mix of, wow, I know I'm screwing this up. And then they'll let you hear it. It's, that's what sport, that's what a good sporting town does, good fans. I I enjoy that. Um, It kind of woke me up a little bit. It woke me up to the fact of, wow, this is a lot closer than it really is. And you need to step it up. But at the same time, that's, I love that. I love that. Sometimes you gotta be called out. Um, Sometimes you gotta really, put in your place and and they definitely did that they helped me
0: there are a lot of athletes probably it's not an overstep to say most athletes fall apart when that's the environment why do you thrive in it why did you just say that's how it should be
2: hey a lot of times i think people don't tell um you know athletes the truth a lot of times you know even in your inner circle they're going to tell you what you want to hear and not not exactly the truth and sometimes you really gotta know when you're screwing it up or when you're doing something great and and they let me know. I like that, I like that. Uh, the fact that I was able to spin it positively, I don't know how many guys would actually spin it that way, but for me it was, it was something that needed to be done and it was a wake up call for sure.
0: How many of your peers you think could have done that?
2: There's a few, select few. Um, you know, you gotta be mentally tough. I think that's that's what makes the great ones great um, your mind sets you apart. Yeah, I mean, everybody's talented, but at the same time, you got to take it a step further, and to be able to do that is all mental.
0: What was your emotion when it was finally over?
2: I was glad. I I was so happy it was done. (laughs) It was exciting to have it uh, to be finished, but a sense of relief. Um, You know, those last hour and a half was so stressful. Uh, I think it took me like two days, two, three days just to kind of decompress from everything that was going on. and uh, But at the same time, it, to defend. I mean, it's so hard to actually do that. Um, and to you know, do it at the U.S. Open and then the PGA, to have both those back-to-back was, uh, was pretty special.
0: What is it that makes defending so difficult?
2: I think sometimes your expectations can get in the way. Um, you're like, well, I won it last year, so I should win it again. I think sometimes you can... But you're looking ahead, and that's where I think a lot of uh, nervousness pressure. I think that's, that's where all that comes from, looking ahead instead of staying in the moment and just being like, hey, I just got to hit one golf shot and that's it. And wherever it goes, it goes. And accept it and move on. You know, when you start thinking about results is when, when you feel pressure uh, because you're thinking about what's going to happen if I do this. So you're looking ahead. So you just got to stay in the moment.
0: On that note, I'm going to ask you to look ahead. <laughs> what would it mean to get three straight? Where
2: would that place you in history? I have no idea. It'd be pretty cool. Um, I, it's incredible to even think about it. The fact that I've got a, a chance to win you know, three PGAs in a row is it's wild. Um, something I never really thought was ever going to happen, and here I am, so it's, it's pretty cool. You have Wanamakers. You have U.S. Open trophies. Let's discuss the
0: green jacket. What would that mean to you? to win that thing.
2: Yeah, that would be, that'd be ideal. Uh, but every year I play, I seem to get better and better. You understand the golf course a little bit more and, and really know where to attack it.
0: 2019 Masters was interesting for you. What do you remember about that Masters?
2: I remember dunking one in the water on 12. It's hard to forget that. I was just told that last week by somebody. Um, you know, hey, I, I played great. I really did. I played, I played a solid four days of golf. And even the ball that went in the water, I hit a good shot. Um, I know people are like, you know, you got to aim for the center of the green. It's exactly what I was we were trying to do. Um, and then the wind just puffed up. And you won't see four guys um, hitting in the water like that all in a row without um, something going on. It, I actually backed off my first shot because the wind was off the right and we thought it was off the left. And then I, I'd encourage anybody to go on that tee um, and see which way the wind goes because we don't even know as we're hitting it.
0: That smile while you're telling me that. It makes me laugh. Yeah. Why? What is that?
2: It's just you know, there's some times where you can you can hit good shots and they just don't they don't work out and you know that was one of them. I, I hit it exactly how I wanted to. You could just see it climb a little bit at the end and I was like, oh boy, we're in trouble. Um, and at the same time, it was cool. It was cool to see Tiger win. You know, you, you got to remove yourself from the situation I think sometimes and and look at it. Wow, that was that was history right there. I think that was so good for our sport, so good for fans good for um, the players good for everybody involved sponsoring It doesn't matter who you are if you're a golf fan that's what you needed to see and that's what you wanted to see um, I knew everybody was cheering for him it was pretty obvious there um, and it, it's, it's cool to see it really is it's, it's special and, and to be kind of have a front row seat to it um, made it uh, made it even better.
0: so I imagine you were quite aware of what was happening behind you as he was starting to make that charge late in the round what, what was that like are those roars just different do you just know
2: yeah at Augusta you definitely know you know which player it is by the size of the roar and then especially with having them right behind you everybody's wanting to try to get a front row seat so they're all coming up to our group um, you know that's kind of one of the disadvantages I guess playing in front of Tiger uh, everybody's always coming up and jockeying for a position and uh, trying to find their spot but they'll uh, they'll let you know and at Augusta it's incredible I love the the way the roars they just echo in that place and it's it's really truly cool to see
0: i was standing on 18 what a blessing unbelievable blessing as he's walking up the fairway he taps in and as he's walking to sign his card you're standing there shoffley's standing there jt's standing there ricky's standing there everybody all of the young stars of the game are standing there why was it important for you to
2: wait for him I wanted to see it. I wanted to congratulate him uh, for seeing everything he's been through. Uh, you look at where, uh, you know, a lot of people don't have uh, the insight and, and see what goes on when he truly was hurt. You know, I remember I saw him at Medalist and he was out there with with Charlie and everybody. And I mean, he looked awful walking. He really did. He didn't look in good shape. He was he was just struggling um, and you could see it in his face and you can see it in his eyes and you know to see where he was in I think it was 2017 um, to where he is now you know it's it's a feel-good story if that's that's probably the best way to describe that it's it's neat to see.
0: What chance do you, would you have given him in that moment that you would see what you saw last year?
2: Oh looking at him I, I wouldn't have given him a shot um, I don't think Yeah, if I was a bad man on on that day, I probably would have said he had no chance of winning, uh, ever winning again. But at the same time, it's Tiger Woods, so you never count him out. When you fall one shot short at a tournament like the Masters,
0: especially the Masters, how often or or, or to what degree do you go back and look at this shot or that shot? Is there one that you'd want back?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously 12 would, uh, would be the one I want back. But at the same time, you made it look closer than it was. I think that's... You know, he he bogeyed the last. You know, he he made it look closer than it was. You know, you look at the, I guess the leaderboard now, and you only see one by one. Oh, you know, I missed a putt on 17 and 18. Listen, I hit good putts, they didn't go in, um, and at the same time, you know, I made some mistakes coming down. Uh, To hang one up there on 16, uh, just blocked it a little bit, and he makes birdie. There's there's your swing. Um, Hit some good putts, just didn't go in, and you know to to win a golf tournament, you got to play really good. Simple fact. And he just did that better than everybody else that week.
0: How do you describe your emotional approach to golf?
2: I just try to make make the best of whatever the situation I've got. I think a lot of times guys get caught up in, um, you know, what they're doing and, and what other people are doing. Where's so and so on the leaderboard? How are things going? I'm just out there. I don't want to say it selfishly, but I'm only concerned about what I'm doing. I'm concerned about how I'm going to um, you know, make birdie on this hole or get up and down for par or whatever it might be, trying to make the best of that situation. And uh, any time I can, you know, try to improve um, on whatever, you know, the score or whatever it might be, you just get it done. There's no way around it. You just get it done. How was
0: that emotional approach developed?
2: It's, I guess it's been, fine-tuned over the last maybe five six years Um, it was very super competitive um, ever since I was little and I think sometimes it can backfire a little bit you got to know when to really push yourself and when not to and I think being a little bit older um, you know the more golf you play the more understanding you have of how you respond to things how you understand pressure what you know in certain circumstances hey listen I'm, I'm a bit jazzed up right now I know this ball's gonna 7-iron, you know, not going to go 195, it's going to go 205, just because of the situation. You you understand how things work, and I think a lot of times that's why you see guys really don't come into their own until they're, you know, in their mid-30s. They've played a lot of golf, they understand it, and I think that's what makes golf so unique and so special. What role did
0: Chris Malloy play in your development emotionally?
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, he toughened me up, that's for sure. Malloy was... He was he was tough on me. Um, I remember I ran those steps at doke. I can't tell you how many times for punishment workouts for everything I ever did. Um, it taught me yeah, I just had to be tough. Uh, I knew I wasn't born to do this. I guess is a good way to put that. You know, you look at guys like Rory was destined to be, you know, one of the best players. Justin Thomas was destined to be Tiger. All these guys, you know, I I wasn't. And Why? so I mean, you look at it. In tournaments, uh, ever since we were little, um, you know, guys would get into tournaments. I, I couldn't get into them. Uh, you know, obviously politics play a little bit of a role in that, but at the same time, you know, I, I couldn't, I didn't have any scholarship offers. Uh, so, you know, I couldn't play all these events. couldn't go, I wasn't getting into them, and then, you know, you finally get into them and you always feel like you got something to prove. I think that's where a lot of that chip on the shoulder comes from, um, just always having to try to prove yourself.
0: You said just a few minutes ago. There's only a handful of people who have four majors on their resume, you do, and you won in less than two years. How big is that chip right now? How much How much do you still carry it?
2: Um, I think you always got something to prove. Um, I've got, you know, hey, I want to win ten majors, so I've got to prove that to myself. It's not about anybody else anymore, it's about what I, the goals that I have set, um, I think. Yeah, it's great, it'll, it'll drive you so far, but at a certain point you've got to take over um, and really understand what, what you want to make it. You know, I'm in the driver's seat of, of my career and I gotta, I'm gonna push this thing as far as I can push it. Um, you know, push my body, push, push my game to the, you know, to the limits and see, you know, when I retire, I want to be able to say, wow, I gave it my all. I gave it everything I've got and this is what I came up with and I can live with that. Whether if I don't win another major or I win 10 more, doesn't matter. Um, I want to, when I leave, I just want to say I give it my all.
0: Let's go back to Malloy a second. What was that role? You said he pushed you really hard. How did he make you aware that you needed to grow some?
2: Yeah, I think it, a lot of it, it being an 18-year-old kid, I think sometimes, I don't want to say I was slow in the maturing um, side of things, but it was, you need a little kick in the butt every once in a while. Everybody needs a little reality check. and. Hey, 18-year-old you know, kid going off on your own in college. You know, you're thinking, "Wow, this is great," but at the same time, you're there. To, I'm there to go play golf and go to school. Um, that was something that I needed to do, and they held me accountable. I think that was that was something that needed to happen at that time. I needed to develop um, more as a human being than I than I did as a golfer, um, and that's what you know, Malloy and Trey were were good at doing. Uh, they were able to get me uh, to grow up as a, as a person and, and mature.
0: Yeah, I don't like looking back at me either. Not somebody <laughs> I want to see, brother, trust yeah. me. When you do though, when you look back at that 18, 19 year old kid and the emotions involved and the way you approached the game, what did you see and if we saw it, what would we see?
2: Uh, I think we well, would see a hothead. I was very, very, I run hot. Um, I was passionate, I just never understood why I could why I'd push it 15, 20 feet to the right. Um, and then, you know, you start to understand, listen, I'm, I'm aiming at the flag every shot, right? And it's not going in the hole, so I'm not hitting it where I want to anyway. So why are you going to be pissed if you miss it ten to more feet to the right? You just make the putt and it's done with. Uh, just understanding how it doesn't need to always be perfect. You can get it around and you can shoot a good score. It just doesn't have to be perfect.
0: You said something that intrigued me a minute ago about how you weren't supposed to be that guy. Mm-hmm. You weren't supposed to have this career.
2: Why do you have this career? I've just always had something to prove. Um, you know, I've always believed that I could be the best or I am the best. You know, everybody, every great athlete, doesn't matter what sport you play, if you're that's your mentality, you're gonna be successful whatever you do, um, you know, to the best of your ability. Some guys, you know, you get on the PGA Tour, that's just good enough, they're satisfied. Um, with me, that's not the case. I'm trying to be the best, I'm trying to the best I ever played and anybody that says they're not trying to do that is to me it doesn't make sense because that's what uh, that's what we're here for because to be the best you've got to win and win consistently a couple more things
0: there are some athletes during our generation and even before who it seems to me did not show up to make friends they did not show up for relationships they showed up to kick your ass Mm -hmm. you strike me as one of those guys now I'm on I don't know right this is this is an inference on my part you strike me as one of those those guys to what degree what weight do you put on friendships or relationships with your peers versus what you're there to do
2: yeah I think some you gotta separate it um, a lot of times I don't i don't play a lot of practice rounds with guys Uh simple as I just don't want to give them information and um, they know hey if I if I push one to the right, I can carry that bunker. They know how far they hit it. Uh, they know how far I hit it. You know, each club and all these different things, so they can get a little bit of gauge out of play. It or if I feel like I've got an advantage on somebody else because I saw this and I don't think most guys would see it, I'm not about to share it. Um, you know, call it selfish, call it whatever. It's not. Uh, I'll watch guys. I'll watch guys play other holes um, and just kind of stand back and and take it all in. But you know it's different you know you get in the clubhouse you can talk i don't mind talking to the guys uh hanging out with them obviously there's a lot of guys down in jupiter um, there's probably 20 30 guys but at the same time i've got my friends i've got my friends that i grew up with guys that are around i don't need to i don't need to see them every every week out on tour and every week at home too um, you know I, I enjoy getting away from the game my, a lot of my boys you know they could care less about golf and, and that's kind of been my outlet, getting away from golf um, sometimes, and I think that's what that's what's able to make me uh, me.
0: What perspective does that give you when you're not around yes men all the time?
2: Oh yeah, no, my boys will tell me exactly how it is. They'll uh, <laughs> they'll let me know when uh, when I've done something stupid, when I've opened my mouth and I shouldn't have, or, or done anything. Just accountability. That's what you got to have, and you got to have those people around. Because if you don't, then you're kind of living in a fairy tale land. What was the five-second rule at Florida State? Oh, yeah, uh, and obviously I ran hot, but I couldn't, uh, I couldn't do anything for five seconds after, after a bad shot. I, wouldn't, I was allowed to let it out, and then I couldn't speak of it. That was it. Um, you know, Obviously I wasn't allowed to slam a club or break a club or do anything to the bag, but uh, I could have five seconds where I could pout and be fussy about it and be, act like a kid. And then after that, it was done with. And I think that's what kind of progressed into the no emotion, the no um, what you see today. I think that's what it is. It's just, okay, well, it's gotten a lot less now. Uh, You know, it might be a quarter of a second, but other than that, uh, you won't see much.
0: How respected do you feel by your peers and the folks on tour?
2: Um, I I don't know. That's a good question. I don't, um, I think a lot of them would say that, I don't want to say it a loner but a lot of you know I'm there to win that's what I'm that's what I'm showing up to do I feel I feel there is a lot of respect um, in golf's one of those things where you look at it I have nothing but respect for Rory uh, Tiger Justin all these guys um, you know we definitely show it to each other but at the same time everybody wants to kick everybody's butt so um, you know there'll be a lot of times from years from now uh, Rory's gonna kick my butt and I'm gonna kick his it's just simple ass and hopefully it stays that way it makes the game fun um you know you want that competitive fire you want that um you want that enjoyment out of winning and but i think with all that comes respect the Deshambo thing intrigues me what about it
0: you go after that dude man well
2: if what? you're gonna set me up on a tee i'm gonna take a swing at you <laughs> you can't troll the troll i said that you know it's one of those things where it's Listen, I said my piece on it. I said, you know, what I thought. I thought it was, you know, the slow play thing. Um, It just, he didn't like it. You know, we talked about it. And and then, you know, to come out, you know, he told me to not say anything. And he just kept going. So I'll I'll let you have it. No no problem with me. I'm not afraid to open my mouth.
0: Walk us through your recovery and rehab from your knee. What did it entail and, and where are you with it?
2: Yeah, so obviously slipped in Korea. Uh, flew back on Saturday, got back to states. I think on Sunday, and then Monday I was in doing rehab. Uh, it was a quick turnaround. Didn't have much time to think about it. Uh, we got Derek, uh, Samuel out in San Diego. It was important. He came in. Um, my physio Mark Wall came in. Uh, everybody looked at it. We, you know, obviously had MRIs, and tried to figure out the best way to approach it. And you know, we figured PT was the best way to go about it. And, I spent um, the, quite a few nights in Miami. They'd fly down to Miami, and we'd go do some work in a hotel, and next thing you know, uh, I'd be back in, in San Diego. And I spent pretty much from the middle of November all the way till early January there, before I left for the Middle East. Um, just out there. wasn't wasn't clear to hit balls, but until December like 20th. And uh, It's only had about only hit about 5 6 times before we actually went to play in the middle east but the the rehab it's going well every day's a process man you just got to understand that every day you're going to get better and better uh, you're going to have your good days you're going to have your bad days and but at the end of the day you're progressing towards where I want to be I want to want to be healthy want to be 100% and it might it might be a while but at the same time it's strong it's strong now uh, i think that was we kind of had a little bit of the wrong approach to it on the the first uh, first go round, and that's why I think last year it bugged me so bad. When was the
0: last time you went that long without hitting a golf ball? Uh,
2: probably with my wrist, my wrist issues. Yeah, so probably I think it was what two thousand seventeen. Other than that, yeah, it's been a while. I, don't, I usually don't put it down for three months. Uh, it was it was interesting, you know. You, you try to find that competitive fire in something. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, it, for me, it was the rehab process. It was, okay, well, now I can actually get up out of a chair without pain. Um, you know, I couldn't even do a quarter squat. And then all, this, all of a sudden, you're, I've got weight in my hand, and you're trying to find that competitiveness um, in the rehab process, which was quite interesting.
0: As a guy who is so fit and does work so hard towards excellence, what is that like? when that is your victory for the day.
2: This was probably the hardest I've ever um, had. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever dealt with the patella, but, you know, the kneecap came up and twisted. It was in the fat pad, um, so we had to get that off, and then, you know, the tear's still there. You know, it it doesn't feel anything like my right knee. Uh, My right knee, you know, I can do whatever I want on it. Left knee, I'm still a little cautious on it. Um, It's strong. It's stable, uh, which it wasn't three months ago, two months ago, not even, you know, month and a half ago but to have it feel like I'm able to do things now on it I mean I couldn't walk on it without I'm not sure if it's gonna go left go right you know I didn't know what it was gonna do um, but to be able to feel strong and, and stable is, has been a big key in this whole process
0: I told you guys he was honest I mean I enjoy him So much, man. Let me tell you another cool thing about Brooks Kepka, dude. So I don't know when it was. It was a couple, maybe it was last month or two months ago. A massive box shows up on my porch. I mean massive. And I'm like, what is this? So I opened the box up, and it is a black box that is probably three feet long with a huge BK on the emblazoned on the box. Brooks's personal logo, okay? So I'm like, what is this, man? So I open it up and Brooks sent to many of his friends and I'm sh- I guess media that cover him or whatever. Uh these welcome back to sports boxes with uh like caramel popcorn and cheesy popcorn which was, is a sponsor of his, and forgive me, I can't remember the name of the popcorn, sorry, Brooks, uh, and Michelob Ultras, because that's one of Brooks' big sponsors is Michelob Ultra. And so it was popcorn and beer. And he had a personal note uh, in the box, you know, welcome back to sports, we've all missed it so much. And uh, I just thought that was so cool that he sent that to me, of all people. But I felt like that was really nice of him, and I was really grateful for that. And uh, the, the popcorn lasted probably two days in my house, and the cold beer lasted more like – there were I think there were four beers in the box, and I think they lasted about 90 minutes.
1: It lasted long enough to get cold?
0: Yeah. I mean, I got them cold, so let's say that's a 45-minute experience. How long does it take to make a warm beer cold? 45 minutes?
1: I don't know. That's a good, that's a good question. Do
0: you know the, do you know
1: the, the country boy? Do you know the spin technique? You put, yeah, you put in a bed of ice. Yeah. Yeah, and you just sit there and spin it. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. very quick. You can get your
0: beer ice cold in like 10 minutes.
1: Yeah, if, you, if you're in a bad spot, yeah, that's something that you can do.
0: Y'all, America's ready to get back to work. I know I am. I'm praying for college football. That's a whole other rabbit hole we don't need to go down on this podcast, but I mean, we're making some headway. It's time for Ask Marty. What we got this week, Trav? All
1: right, this one, I went back to a couple of the old tweets that I pushed out there because I knew there were some good questions. I, I can't believe that I missed this one. Came all the way back on July 12th from CMAC underscore IN underscore TR. Who is the best fictional sports star ever?
0: The best fictional sports bar?
1: No, fictional sports star, so like oh. from a movie.
0: Well, it's 5, 10 p.m. as we tape this. You can tell where my head is. The greatest fictional sports star. Ooh, that's really hard for me, man, because I'm such – well, first of all, there's so many. I mean, you could go all the way back to De Niro and Raging Bull and all that stuff, right? So, I mean, he was fictional, right? I don't know. That's not based on a true story, is it? I don't think so. All right, well, that shows what you and I know. Anyway – I mean, for me personally, I just watched. So I have been scouring the TV guide for when Days of Thunder would be on. Anywhere. I don't care if it was channel 5,208.
1: You know you can, like, search it, right? And it'll. I did. I like just years. learned that. Okay. You, wait, you, did Laney teach you?
0: Yes. I just learned that. And so I was thrilled to learn that one of these super obscure networks somewhere, ICF or IVT or I don't know. They had it on uh, last Saturday at like 2.10 in the afternoon was when it started. That's a weird time, but that's what time it was. 2.30, I don't know. So, I taped it. I have watched it twice already in two days. And how great is that movie, man? That
1: movie is the best.
0: And Cold Trickle.
1: Do you want me to upset you?
0: Yeah, you don't like it or you've never seen it. Which one?
1: I've never seen it.
0: Golly, son, you have to do better. That's your homework. Travis's homework is to go on the IVT network, IYZ, whatever it was. Go. Do you even have? What do you? How do you consume your television?
1: Uh, I've got cable. I've got Prime. I'll I'll find it.
0: Okay. Yeah. You got to go watch Days of Thunder, man. You have to. And Rowdy Burns, Michael Rooker's character in Days of Thunder is is of course based on Dale Earnhardt and the aggressiveness and all of that phenomenal character, Robert Duval's character. I don't know if that counts as a sports star because he was the crew chief in Days of Thunder. Um I love Major League so much too. Uh I love all like I love all those characters, whether it's Pedro Serrano, whether it's Wild Thing Vaughn whether it's I mean Eddie Harris is one of the funniest characters ever for me. You trying to tell me Jesus Christ can't hit a curveball. I mean Just a hilarious movie, Jake Taylor, on and on and on. So I love Major League. Um, I would consider Uncle Rico and Napoleon Dynamite to be a fictitious sports star. So I'm throwing him in this argument.
1: That's what Um, I was wondering if you're going to go with. I mean, hell, we had Uncle Rico on the podcast for crying out loud.
0: The thing is, you can't, you can't count like Remember the Titans. You can't count Junction Boys. You can't count, uh, Friday Night Lights, because all of those are real people. In, in terms of the movie now, there were fictitious characters in the Friday Night Lights television series. You could go there, whether that's Jason Street, the quarterback, whether that's Riggins, uh, whether that's uh, Smash Williams. All those guys were – I forget Michael B. Jordan's character in Friday Night Lights. I forget his name. Uh, I remember Saracen in Friday Night Lights, but Michael B. Jordan wound up being the biggest star of all of them. And uh, him and I guess Taylor Kish, Kish is a Kish, Taylor Kish, the guy that played Riggins, he's a pretty big star. He's been in some big-time monster feature films. What are some – I know I'm forgetting. There's a – like Roy Hobbs. What about Roy Hobbs? Was that fictitious? I don't –
1: Mine would have to be Charlie Tweeter from Varsity Blues.
0: Yeah, that's a great one. That's a great one. Tweeter's a good one.
1: Twitter drinks beers because Twitter drinks beers.
0: Um, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, you know, you could – there's also all the other racing movies that I haven't mentioned. There's so many great racing movies. I just chose Days of Thunder. Six-pack has a ton of amazing characters in it. Um,
1: you could do Shane Falco from The Replacement.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, Kathy Ireland was pretty good in Necessary Roughness. I've rendered you speechless, Travis. Um, It's funny. That's a little bit of an inside joke between Travis and me because we have, we are, I will just go ahead and say it. We are efforting getting Kathy Ireland as our guest on the podcast. I, I slid into Kathy Ireland's DMs, man. I just sent her a direct message and she had been uh, like mentioned in my book on social media. And that she loved my book. And I was, of course, blown away by this um, for a lot of reasons. And so I just was like, well, if she has any clue of who I am and like my book, why don't I I just ask? And so I asked, and she said, yes, she would love to do it. And Travis has been uh, efforting that with her public relations team uh, over the last week or so. Is that she's an a accurate busy, depiction? Yes. Yeah,
1: she's a busy woman, so we're just trying to find a time to lock it in, but we will have her at some point.
0: She only has like $3 billion worth she of business. Like,
1: she wears like 10 different hats.
0: She's a mogul. She's a business mogul, bro. Yeah. I mean, she is unbelievably successful and has so many – like I love people. I'm fascinated by people like her – I want to interview people that inspire me.
1: The one thing about us, especially me, is I will bother people to the point where I think they give us the guests just so I will leave them alone.
0: Well, Yeah, you're really, really good. You're persistent. There's no doubt yes. about you're I don't,
1: I don't take no for an answer. I'll, you know, they'll say, hey, email me in a couple weeks. I'm like, all right. So I'll, I'll just keep bothering them until they finally just give in.
0: That's one thing that makes Travis great is I, 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 I will tell you all this. Not only is he my friend. But I never, ever, ever have to question effort. Never. I know if I ask him something and I ask him to do something for me, unless he's in the moment producing Scott Van Pelt's podcast or doing something else that is important to commandeer his time, he is immediately on it. And even if the answer is I can't or I don't know or it's not happening, I know – that that's the truth because he is a grinder and I love it. I don't want, I don't want anybody else doing my podcast. And, you know, it was interesting when the masters asked me to be involved in their podcast, uh, they asked me what I needed. Their quest, their, their one that like, they, they said, Marty, what do you need for this to be great? And I said, I only need one thing. I need Travis Rockhold. I need my producer of Marty's Miss America, and it's going to be great. And they very kindly adhered to that, and we have had a blast, like a blast doing that. Can't wait until November when we get to do it again.
1: I appreciate those words, but before I move to the next question, I need you to give me at least one – it doesn't have to be your absolute favorite fictional story, but I need you to give me at least one name. You have to answer the question.
0: Oh, I do have to answer the question. Okay. I'm going to say my favorite fictional, my favorite fictional character, ball player ever. I'm going to go Riggins. That's a good one. Yeah, I'm going Riggins, man. That's me. Laney, and, I, don't, I don't know if you understand how much I loved the Friday Night Lights television series. It's my favorite television series ever. And there's a lot of – the writing was brilliant. Peter Berg was the director, um, who also, of course, was the director of the Friday Night Lights movie. I love that. Like Coach Taylor and the whole the way that that, that, that character was played with – so much like empathy and the way that they wrote the familial dynamic between Coach Taylor and Tammy Taylor, his wife, and the way that they really developed the character so deeply. It was just unbelievable. Aside from the football, which I love, like you guys know me by now, you know how much I love the entire high school football mystique, the entire thread that is high school football that was only that was what got me there it was the great writing and the character development and and really really the immersive the the immersive entertainment that that thing was is what kept me there i just love it so i'm going i'm going with tim riggins as my favorite fictional sports star ever
1: our other question comes from Steven Dillard. This comes, goes back to a couple years ago. Can you ever put too much butter on cornbread?
0: No. No, you, you cannot. Um, you cannot. And that it doesn't matter what type of cornbread it is. It doesn't matter if it's the, the type that's not as sweet. My mom always made sweet cornbread. And so it's like pound cake almost. It's so delicious. And you can slather that in real butter is better than. I remember when my mom one time my mom got margarine instead of real butter and I thought my father was going to throw up on the table. It, it it didn't go over very well. It was like the it was like the 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 whip looking stuff, country crock or whatever that stuff oh, yeah, is. Yeah yeah yeah. Margarine and, it, yeah, maybe margarine had a little bit less fat in it or whatever. Maybe that's why mama got it. But it tasted like licking a cardboard box. And so we go real butter in my house. Uh, you, at, the, at the grocery store here, there's this huge, like, lump. I mean, it's a big old, like, loaf. It's not It's like as big as half a loaf of bread. That's, that's the size and shape of it. And it's like the Amish – butter and it comes in that big old big old lump and we buy the big lump it's delicious and far more nutritious than marjorie there you go
1: i love the cornbread but i always i always vote biscuits
0: look man i'm fine either way i'm a cornbread man but i can't say no to a biscuit that's where the whole thing started i was on a i was on a flight I was on a cross country flight one time where I had gotten on the plane and fallen asleep. And, uh, I don't remember if it was a red eye and I woke up or if it was an early morning flight and I woke up and they were serving breakfast and I have, I might have even been hung over. I can't remember, but the flight attendant comes by with a basket of biscuits and she looks at me and she goes, would you like a biscuit, sir? I'm like, I said, well, hell yeah, I want a biscuit. And I got to thinking, I I'm a little bit of a nutrition nerd, but I can't turn down a biscuit. I can't, I can't say no to a biscuit.
1: Especially on a flight. You can't you can't be too selective on a flight.
0: And they're good, man. I give American Airlines a lot of credit. Their biscuits are really good. And I sometimes I can't even and, and I'll be like, I'm a honey guy. I eat a lot of honey, local honey and stuff here.
1: You love your honey and everything.
0: Yeah, I eat, I eat a lot of honey, man. I mean,
1: I've seen you put it in your yogurt, your coffee. I mean, you put it in everything.
0: I do. And there's a reason, man. It's natural sugar. I mean, it's sugar that your body can process. And is it added calories that might be unnecessary? Yeah. But I would rather have – it's like drinking red wine versus beer. When you drink red wine, it's complex sugar that your body can process. That's why people on the South Beach diet – drink red wine as opposed to beer um i just go ahead and drink beer and red wine i don't care but anyway that's a little bit of a, a tangent but i do put honey in my coffee every day i put honey in my yogurt uh to sweeten it up a little bit and um i put honey on my biscuits and that flight attendant that morning when i asked her is it do i have any honey she brought me a honey, and I was very grateful for that
1: honey. Before we go, did you happen to catch the Carolina Hurricanes uh, Twitter account today, Marty?
0: No. Enlighten me.
1: So, uh, you know, they're holding – hockey's having games during the day, you know, with everything that's going on, and uh, 109 p.m. today on August 3rd, the Carolina Hurricanes tweeted, it's a Marty party, and – it was uh, a gif of one of their hockey players. What? Yeah, so one of their hockey players, Jordan Martin Luker, it's spelled M-A-R-T-I-N-O-O-K. That's his you last did a name. good job pronouncing it. Yeah, but they tweeted, it's a Marty party, in which I replied that it sounds like we need to get this guy on if they're calling him a Marty party. <laughs> like, I feel like this is a, you know, you live in, you know, the area. I feel like this is a joint venture. Then if they're going to call him a Marty party, you are the Marty party. We need to have this guy on. Yeah.
0: If they're going to call him the Marty party, he should join the Marty party.
1: Yeah. I didn't know if all you right. saw it today. so that, no, that,
0: I did not. That's, but, another, um, that's
1: another person I think we're going to have to go after.
0: I think you should call the Hurricanes. That might actually be – I think we might be able to pull that off.
1: So, I think we'll be good. So, that's uh, we're going to have to try to get a, a joint Marty party uh, with the Carolina Hurricanes going.
0: All right. That sounds good. I mean, it makes sense. I live uh, two and a half hours from where he plays, something like that. Uh, all right, man. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed Brooks Kepka. Thanks to him for being willing to sit down with me uh, out there in San Francisco a few months back. I hope you guys get to see the television feature as well that Harry Hawkins and I put together. Harry did a great job putting that piece together, and, and, uh, and Greg Jewell and everybody involved in the features unit that, that oversees all of our golf features. I love getting to do those so much. They're so fulfilling for me. and. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. Thanks so much again to Brooks for, for his time. And, and Blake Smith, Brooks' agent as well, in helping setting all that up. So um, thanks so much to our law enforcement officials all over the country working hard to keep our community safe. Thank you to our fire and rescue folks, first responders who are risking their lives to save lives. And I'm so grateful for our military. We live in a free country. We live in the greatest country, and it's because of the sacrifice of our men and women in uniform. So thank you so much to all of you guys for your sacrifice and for working hard to make sure we're free. Hope you all enjoyed that. That's Marty Smith's America, Volume 100-something. We'll be back next time around, and we'll see you all then. Take care.